all, we're recording inside the Cohab Podcast Studio space under the Texas Street Bridge by the Red River in downtown Shreveport, Louisiana, and this is the 3180 Podcast. What is going on in the 318? What is our current identity? Shreveporters can make this place into the city we want it to be. It's time for Shreveport to make a 180. Every Thursday, we are having conversations about doing just that. We're talking to people who are making the difference in our city. I'm Josh Clayton. I'm Thomas Young. Welcome to the 3180 Podcast. Julie Gilley, Nick Oliver of the EAP, a subset of the BRF. Welcome to the 3180 Podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for having us, Josh. (laughs) All right. So we've been in the studio and we've been talking and we've not been recording, but um, we just finished a, 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 a somewhat detailed discussion about economic development here in Shreveport. What are you doing in the EAP, Julie? What is EAP doing we, in Shreveport? We are traditionally an accelerator. And what that means is we take startup ideas anywhere on the spectrum from an idea on the back of a napkin to a company that's already formed. Maybe they're raising another round of funding. And we help them get ready to pitch to investors, whether that's private investors, it's possibly a bank. We help them find funding so they can actually launch um, we run two angel funds and, you know, our goal is just to diversify the economy here in, in North Louisiana and, uh, build business. I like it. Uh, Nick, I saw billboards back in, I guess, November, maybe October for the EAP. And I, I don't know if your face was on them. Was your face on them? I think I didn't make the cut. You didn't make the cut. Uh, I, I think I saw my Julie's jawline part. isn't sharp enough okay. or something like that. Yeah. Well, I, I saw Julie <laughs> on the billboards and it said like, scrap your business plan or you don't right. really tell me about that. So the conventional methodology of starting a business, right, is you create a business plan that is inclusive of your idea, uh, your your steps to making your idea or bringing your business to reality, uh, as well as maybe a rudimentary financial model of like, here's how much I'm going to charge for my product or service. Here's the costs that are going to go into creating that. Some type of that. pro forma statement. Yeah. yeah okay. So what that ends up looking like is a 20 to 25 page, uh, what our executive director, Dave, Smith affectionately refers to as a glossy business plan, right? Right. But the thing about that that is a little old school is that you're going to iterate a thousand times before you actually hang your shingle out and open your business. And that that, uh, business plan is going to become archaic almost overnight. And it's going to become almost useless because everything changes within um, three months or a month or even a day to, to say that this isn't useful for me anymore. And so the reason we say skip your business plan is because we do it a different way. We take your business idea and we help you create uh, tangible deliverables for you to take to a potential capital partner, whether that be a bank or an investor. And those are things like a simple pitch deck and a simple pro forma financial model that walks exactly through what you're trying to do, uh, but doesn't overdo it because at the end of the day, you just have to sell yourself to, in order to get that business started. So it's a, just a different approach. We typically spend a lot more time on the financial model because at the end of the day, if you're not going to make any money, what's the point? Um, I mean, even even nonprofits need to uh, find a way to make money. So Right. Well, okay. So EAP, what's the acronym? Entrepreneurial Accelerator Program. BRF. Building Our Region's Future, formerly the Biomedical Research Foundation, which now, was, it was established, by the way, in 86 by Virginia Sheehy to diversify the economy here in North Louisiana. The Biomedical Research Foundation. You got founded it. Founded in 86. Yes. By Ms. Sheehy. You got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So you guys are both employees of BRF or EAP or both or? So EAP is a business unit of the BRF. Mm -hmm. We have uh, several business units, in, including uh, the Digital Media Institute, which is all the digital media. Mm -hmm. They teach students how to do that. Mm -hmm. We've got the Center for Molecular Imaging and Therapy. That's Think of PET scans, and mm -hmm. then we actually manufacture the radioisotopes. Really cool stuff going on over there. We've got a STEM program, uh, and we've actually got some real estate as well that falls under the BRF. Got a lot going on. Where are you from? I'm born and raised in Shreveport. Okay. I went to Bird High School. All right. Uh, I went to LSU in Baton Rouge, got mm -hmm. my undergrad, uh, came back to Shreveport, got my master's degree at LSUS, and then had the opportunity to, to leave and uh, left Shreveport for 10 years, ran off to D.C., got some really cool experience doing some uh, government consulting, mm -hmm. went up to New York City, got to peek behind the curtain of some Fortune 500 companies, actually helped transition GMAC to Ally Bank. That was a really cool project. Some cold winters in Detroit there. Yeah. Uh, then went over to Indianapolis and uh, got picked up by Tyco, actually, and uh, spent a couple of years there. And then they transferred me down to Boca, Boca Raton, Florida, yep. and uh, much warmer than where I'd lived, uh, but uh, implemented a, a $40 million ERP implementation, think Oracle. Okay. Um, and then along about that time, a friend of mine actually said, hey, you need to work with these guys. There's a startup. They're both previously in law enforcement. They've come up with this software. They don't know anything about business. Can you help them? And I was like, ah, sure. So I sponsored them in the startup prize here in Shreveport. And uh, through all of that, met Dave Smith and then ultimately John George. And they, uh, they recruited me back to Shreveport. To work for the EAP? Yes. What year startup prize was that? Goodness, that would have been five years ago. So, okay. yeah, so, so the start, 2015. Okay. The startup yeah. prize came almost right after film prize, right? Film prize started and then like a year or two later, startup prize came around. That's right. So 15 was uh, like the second or third or incarnation of the film like prize. That. Yeah, second or third. Well, good deal. Um, you happy to be back? Love it. How long have you been back? Four years now. Okay. And... Um, what was the name of the company, the startup prize that you sponsor? Perceptive Intelligence. How'd that work out? They're, they're still doing well. They've actually are about to, uh, they're working on a joint venture um, with another company. So that uh, software is out there and law enforcement is using it. So. Well, good deal. Um, Nick, tell us about yourself. Sure. Yeah. I uh, also was raised in Shreveport, Louisiana, here uh, in the Port City. I went to school at uh, Captain Shreve High School, class of 2011. Um, then I went off to Louisiana Tech, uh, where I got my uh, finance degree from that wonderful school of business over there, and then went to work in the banking industry. I uh, worked for a community bank over in Monroe as a credit underwriter uh, while pursuing my MBA. Um, did that for off and on for a couple years, until about 2016, when I took another role within the bank uh, to manage investments for them here in Shreveport. So that's what brought me back. Okay. Um, I made a conscious decision to come back to Shreveport because uh, I love this place um, and I've seen it when it's with its various levels of success and failure over the years. And um, I felt pretty passionately to, to come back and, and use my talents for the greater good of the city. So um, I've been back here since about 2017, started at, or 2016, excuse me, went into EAP September of 17. Uh, I've been there ever since. 
Awesome. You've been working with Julie at the EAP since 17. Yes. All right. Yes. What's your, uh, what's a favorite project that you've been able to work on that you can disclose? Oh, okay. Uh, that I can disclose. Yeah. So, um, one of my early companies actually that I worked with, um, was a, was a company called Tomac Glass Services or is a company called Tomac Glass Services. They, um, are a specialty glass manufacturing company. Um, and they're actually, uh, I, I recently posted on Facebook that they're getting ready to launch. So that was about a two year process, but, uh, I worked with them, Clay and Scott, uh, they came into our office, um, essentially with their idea on the back of a napkin. And this is a perfect example of the full EAP process, uh, coming to fruition because we locked down with them and said, okay, here's what, here's why your idea is great, but here's how we need to iterate it and kind of help you get to the next step of, uh, building a business plan or building a business pitch that is actually investable, uh, structuring that deal to make it the terms uh, attractive to uh, an early stage private equity investor, an angel. Um, and, and that whole process with them was really uh, influential for me because it, it was great because um, it's local guys uh, putting their expertise to work, building a business here, starting a company here, using local dollars to invest and start that company here. And um, I'm really excited to follow their follow their progress and hiring local talent and hiring local talent. Correct. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I'm I'm going to hit pause and rewind a little bit here. These two guys want to manufacture what type of glass? Uh, so I don't want to steal yeah, the thunder okay, too gotcha. much, but it's it's basically specialty glass manufacturing. Okay. Um, all right. Now, did these did these guys own a glass manufacturing company at the time? Yeah. So they actually um, were glass installers. Okay. Um, here in Shreveport, and what they found was the problem that they saw was that when they're ordering uh, glass from a, a vendor to install in a home or a business here yeah. in Shreveport, the lead time on that delivery is sometimes 10 to 14 business days. Yeah. And a lot of times with the, with the way construction works, the glass is normally one of the last things to go in, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you're replacing a shower or replacing a wind or putting in a window in a building. So a lot of the building isn't protected from the elements while it's waiting on the wind. Or, glass, or you're or, just dealing with a homeowner that's ready for their bathroom oh, yeah. reno to be done. Mm -hmm. And you have to tell them, hey, it's going to be 10 to 14 more days. Yeah. But all I have to do is put this glass up. So okay. it wasn't the quality of the glass that was suffering. It was the lead time and yeah. kind of the the, um, the way it got there. So And they figured by opening a manufacturing plant here, they could they could cut that lead time. As well as yeah. serve the greater Shreveport area and surrounding South Arkansas and Florida. So the, these guys come to you literally with a plan on the napkin in that instance yes all right do did they come in with a check and say we need a thousand dollar consultant or do they come in I mean, like how does how does a guy with an idea come into eap and just get nick oliver yeah, well <laughs> um so there, there's actually two pathways with which we can work with a company um and we we have a fee-for-service type relationship that's kind of a more traditional consulting role where we have a fee that we charge based on the work that we determine that that company needs. Mm -hmm. And we enter into an agreement with that. We do have some of those, but with the nature of startups, obviously capital is crucial. And sometimes early, early, early stage companies don't have that. Mm -hmm. So we'll execute a uh, small equity stake in that company. Okay. So what that like does- Like Shark Tank style. What, well, not exactly. Oh. Not at that point. Yeah. Um, I'll give you 2 million for half. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, at that point, so, what entering into a equity-based contract does is two things. It creates, it incentivizes us to see the long-term success of that company because it aligns our interests with theirs, right? Yep. We have ownership, they have ownership. Mm -hmm. We are foregoing payment up front for benefit down the line. Right. It also locks them in because it officially creates 
a relationship that they have with a partner, mm -hmm. right? So they have someone that's looking out for their best interests who has no initiative or incentive to lie or cheat them in any way. Right. So it aligns incentives perfectly to, to get them to where they need to be, whether that's helping them with their business plan or helping them structure a deal that's investable. Um, it, it, it smooths the whole process out from the get-go and it's really great. Well, cool. Well, um, Julie, a minute ago, you, you mentioned, um, you mentioned the, a little bit of the history of the BRF. Do you know the BRF history well enough to, to set, <laughs> I, set forth the BRF history? I do not. Okay. I, I know the history of EAP, though. Tell, tell us about the history of the EAP. Uh, so, you know, Dr. John George is the president of the BRF, and serial entrepreneur. And he saw something happening in Shreveport through the years that you have a lot of these great ideas. People want to start companies, but they think they've got to go to the bigs, right? Atlanta, Austin, mm -hmm. Dallas. California to raise the capital. And so they leave, much like many of our university students that graduate, uh, they leave. And so we have this drain. And so he saw a need for how can we keep these startups? How can we keep these companies here? Well, he started and he so he took a group and went around to all the accelerators across the country, some of the best ones, to look at their models and say, how are they doing it? Um, IC Squared is a great example, and, and some of the other ones up in Ohio. Where's IC Squared? It is, IC Squared is Austin, down in Austin. University of Texas. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he took the, this group around, and they took a look at all the different models, and he said, how can we do this that makes sense for, for us in this region? Because we're not Austin, we're not Ohio, we're not, uh, you know, some of these other cities. Some of those other programs, they actually put their entrepreneurs through a 12-week program. We don't do that. Uh, they, they put them through a 12-week program, and they kind of shoo them out of the nest and say, go do good things. Uh, at EAP, we do things very differently, that we're there for the duration. It's one of the reasons why we structure our contracts the way we do. And, you know, three years into it, if they start having challenges because, you know, they can't get the workforce that they need, or they have challenges because they uh, want a big contract with a vendor uh, or with a customer, and they need to raise another $3 million in capital, they come back to us and we help them do that. So um, that's very exciting. But John saw the need for that here in Shreveport. So he started EAP, mm -hmm. brought Dave Smith. He actually recruited Dave Smith back to Louisiana from D.C. And um, Dave is our executive director. And then Dave just started building a, a great team. The, we've got six analysts, including myself. Um, we've already had three analysts that... Uh, have left EAP, which is a, actually a great thing. It's not a bad thing because they've gone out into the private sector. One started their own company. One went to go work for another organization. So it's it's really a good launching pad uh, for analysts as well. So Was Dave from Louisiana as well? He is. He is from the big metropolis of Leesville. Got it. What 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 does your day-to-day -day at EAP look like? What, what is EAP doing? <laughs> I mean, like we, um, we talked before we started recording about economic development, and I do want to get into more detail about how EAP views Treeport or Northwest Louisiana's economic development and, and I guess, protocol and trying to, to incentivize our local economy. But what exactly does an individual, does an analyst at EAP do all day? So any given day, I, I never know. Today is full of meetings. I'm out in the community. Uh, meeting with some of our partners at NLEP, at the Shreveport Chamber, you know, uh, 
coming here, doing podcasts and really just out in the community. Some days I'm heads down, literally door closed, and I am just peeling through an Excel spreadsheet. And I love those days. They're quiet and very focused. Um, Some days, you know, I'm meeting with entrepreneurs and and I'm hearing about all these really cool ideas. So, you know, we laugh and say we'll never get bored. We never know what's going to come through the door and no day is the same. And so we'll never... We'll okay. never get bored of doing the same thing. Every, yeah, which every day. I think is very exciting because our organization is lucky enough to be in have their hands in a lot of different things. So one of the things I like personally is having a job that looks different every day, right? Yeah. Like Julie said, sometimes we're knee deep in a spreadsheet, and for someone that has an analytical tinge to them, it's great. But if you also have a social socialization component to you that enjoys like getting out in the community representing an organization that that is moving Shreveport forward, it, it kind of is the best of both worlds. Um, so that's that's why I personally love it. Did um, We had Jared Bevel in here recently, mm-hmm. and he said that he and his partners at Red River Brewing had pretty much been through every, every startup slash economic accelerator slash coaching program, and that every one of them was beneficial in their own way. But he, he had a special place in his heart for EAP and is now – uh, somehow or another affiliated with EAP as a as a coach. Yeah, he's he's our actually our entrepreneur in residence. Oh, so okay. He he has kind of a part time job with us to to facilitate conversations that are specific to entrepreneurs that he's experienced in his time at doing Red River Brewing. Right. Yeah. So he has a unique expertise that maybe the analysts don't necessarily have in being in the trenches, being in a dogfight mm-hmm. to raise money or raise capital, being in a being in the dogfight of running an operation yeah. every single day and the trials and tribulations that come with that. Yeah. And so he provides a really sound uh, perspective on what that really looks like in Shreveport specifically, which is really important. Were either one of you guys working with him in Red River Brewing uh, during their genesis, I guess you could say? I, I was, um, I would say about midway through. So they, they came on, another analyst was working with them. Um, they did go through our program. We introduced them to investors, uh, got them funded, and then they came back. And so we helped them through that as well. So uh, many of probably the listeners are aware that Red River kind of pivoted. Sure. And uh, during that pivot time, we really, I, I engaged again and worked directly with Jared and, and kind of got them where they needed to be. Well, Julie, in that vein, you've recently had a big win that I saw on Facebook. Um, and it involves a mechanical company that's that's going to operate out at the Shreveport Regional Airport. Do you care to, to speak to that, if you're allowed to speak to that? Sure, absolutely. Tell me about it. This is uh, after almost three years, two and a half years of uh, working with this uh, organization. It's Advanced Aero Services. It mm-hmm. is going to be an aviation maintenance repair and overhaul. Okay. Um, they're going to be servicing the large major carriers and Think of, uh, you know, without saying any names, some of the freight carriers as well. So passenger airlines, um, you know, they're not going to be competing with any of the other uh, aviation maintenance organizations here. In fact, they're probably going to be working directly with them and partnering with them. I'm thinking of two in mind right now. Yeah. Um, The exciting thing about this for Shreveport, Bossier, yeah, why does it matter to our like so what? We got we have a new company coming to town. What does this mean? Number 1, it's jobs. Okay. How many uh, jobs? So, I would say conservatively over a 7-year period, we're talking 1200 really? to fi- yeah, 1250 wow. somewhere in that okay. in that vein. Okay. Uh 
The entrepreneur that started this, Mike Anderson, has a reputation in the industry that is just superior. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally did the background checks and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that was exciting to hear. Um, he's run two of the largest MROs in the country. Um, MRO. I, maintenance Repair Overhaul. Okay. That's the That's the acronym in the aviation uh-huh. world. Um, so through a course of events about four years ago, he actually met the former uh, airport authority director, Bill Cooksey, um, at a large convention that they have every year and started having conversations. Mike started vetting a bunch of different cities and looking at site location. Um, so Shreveport the, had to compete with other cities on this? At nine other cities. Really? Yes. Can you can you tell us about the other cities? Uh, well, I, what I can tell you is many of them were greenfields. And what that means is they had, you had to build from the ground up. Okay. Um, let me tell you what Shreveport had that made it so attractive. Okay. Uh, there was a large hangar. Mm-hmm. Um, you have an A&P program through Susla, okay. which many people may not be aware of. That's where they actually, it's a two-year certification process. Mm-hmm. Um, the FAA requires that many of the mechanics that work on airplanes, they have to have this specific certification. Okay. So we have that. Um, we also have one of the largest reserve units through the Air Force. Okay. And what people don't realize is, uh, and we have the Air Force Base here. Right. So you've got servicemen, airmen that are re- retiring or maybe they're finished with their time with the Air Force. Mm-hmm. They're already trained as airplane mechanics. They right? have the requisite certification. You, well, maybe not that through the FAA, but they've got it through the military. Right. And, and the leap to, uh, you know, civilian world is, mm-hmm. is minimal. Okay. Um, so we've got all of those resources here. We're also within an hour ferry time, one hour flight, six major hubs. Think about it. Dallas, DFW, Love, you've got two out of Houston, you got Memphis, mm-hmm. um, and there's another one I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm forgetting right now. But the thing about this is it makes it, it makes sense for the large air, air carriers mm-hmm. to use this area as a hub. Okay. Um, well, logistically speaking, and Thomas and I've talked to a number of uh, folks on this podcast and outside the podcast, Shreveport is situated in a spot where it should be doing much better than it is and has always been, from from what I can tell, has always been situated where Shreveport's located now. <laughs> like, it's never moved. <laughs> right. They didn't it's pick it it's up on a river. Map. It's been on I-20 since, what, the 60s? Is that, when was I-20 built through Shreveport? Yeah, something like that. That was before my time. 49's come straight up the the, uh, the middle of Louisiana since the 90s, all the way to Shreveport, and continues north into Little Rock. Um, or does 49 go through Little Rock? It goes north into somewhere. Yes. Anyway, and then connects to 30 across. To I mean, we're everywhere. Like, we are within a, we're within a three-hour driving distance to Little Rock, Lafayette, um, Mississippi and Dallas and air like you just mentioned air you know from from an airplane perspective you can really get anywhere from here in an hour hour and a half right so that I mean that's a selling point right it is absolutely <laughs> a selling point and so well it begs the question of so why haven't we really yeah you know capitalized on all of these benefits and that's you a know, dangerous it, question it is. I don't. I don't claim to know the answer, but yeah. what I can tell you is that we at EAP are trying to crack that nut. Yeah. Uh, you know, before we started recording the podcast, we were talking about economic yeah. development, and I want to get into that. But I think that's the whole point: is there's a group of us, you included, you know, myself, Nick. There's several others 
in our generation that are asking that question and saying, okay, how do we do things differently so that we don't make those same mistakes and that we do make Shreveport Bossier relevant because we, if you look at the infrastructure that we have here, mm-hmm. not only geographically located, interstates, military base, universities, I mean, it's everybody scratches their head and says, why aren't we? It really, um, it makes no sense. But the, at least this... Uh, uh, MRO decided to locate here. They did. After after looking at eight other cities. Right. And so, and you landed them here. Well, well so, <laughs> I, I, yes. let me, let yes, me say this. Nick, did, yes, did Julie did. land them here? Yeah, I, I'd like to touch on that real quick because Julie's way more humble than I am on her behalf. Um, she is the reason that Advanced Aero was successfully launched here in Shreveport because there are challenges that come with this form of economic development, some sort of early stage stuff. And there are challenges that need to be overcome at every step of the way. And she's dedicated the last two and a half years of her life to making this a success. So it, it does need to be said that that opportunity would never have seen the light of day without the work that she's done and the collective work of all of us at EAP. I think that's fair to say. I'll well, second that. I've heard several um, conversations where Julie has really put up a lot of um, a lot of emotion, time, uh, and life into this this particular company. That's well, that's my understanding from the outside, just listening to her talk about it. Well, well, I just I just know what I saw on Facebook, and you had you had <laughs> you had pats on the back coming from all over all corners of Shreveport. So congratulations to you, and thank you. Well, thank you. My mother always said my middle name was Tenacity. So. Well, you got you got what you were after. Well, my whole thing, and the whole reason for moving back to Shreveport, and and I told Dave Smith and John George this. I said if if I do this, I want to actually make things happen. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to have a meeting about it. I want to actually make good things happen. And so that's been the exciting part is Mm -hmm. if you look at EAP's portfolio, we've got some really cool portfolio companies. I mean, I think of Red River Brewery. We talked about Red River Range, Louder Bakery, uh, the Aquarium, uh, the MRO now, uh, Tomac Glass. I mean, these are just some of the household names that when you hear you go... These are yeah. cool things happening in Shreveport. Yeah. Boat. And those are cons- more consumer-facing brands, right? Those are the ones that the kind of average person in Shreveport right. will have known or heard mm-hmm. about. But there's a whole other laundry list of companies that maybe aren't household names because they're, their business is more enterprise-focused. Yeah, and they don't make king cakes. And they don't make yeah. wonderful, delectable Amazing king cakes, king right? Amazing stuff, yeah. Tell us about some of the people that don't make king cakes. <laughs> I ate a louder yeah. king cake uh, a couple of days. That's wrong. Well, so I, I think a great example um, is a company called Cyber Reef Solutions. So Cyber Cyber Reef Solutions. Okay. They they're a cybersecurity software company located in downtown Shreveport. Um, they came through an early early company through the accelerator, um, went through the angel fund process, got fun, got some seed stage capital through that, and have grown into a really successful company that we believe is on the trajectory uh, up and to the right on the growth chart, right? So um, we think that their future is poised for success and and not to get too much into the weeds of what they do, but they basically offer a cybersecurity-based solution for enterprises to manage their data more efficiently and more okay. effectively because it, it cuts down on the cost of, of an enterprise who, who maybe has a lot of data consumption for mm-hmm. their employees mm-hmm. um, and it manages that effectively and safely and it saves them money. 
that's that's kind of what they do. So that may be one that you've not heard of right. as much, but they're in Shreveport. They have developers. They have employees. They have real people working um, here in Shreveport, and they got customers all over the world. One, well, there's another that I want to really touch ahead. on. It's Segway Therapeutics, but several other companies have kind of spun off of that. Mm-hmm. So Segway Therapeutics is uh, Dr. Jim Cardelli. He was at LSU HSC. Mm-hmm. He did pancreatic cancer research, and two of his uh, students that got their PhD that were in the lab. Uh, once he retired from academia, he actually started a company. And so they repurpose drugs. And basically they take drugs that are already approved by the FDA. They put them all together and they think they ha- may have, have found something. Well, but from that, they spun off three other companies, uh, a lab where they actually do some of this uh, work. And so people say, how do you have a company that's a lab? Well, there's a lot of companies that need lab work done, but they don't want to start their own lab. So they actually can Much do, cheaper to outsource, right? You got it. Yeah. Uh, so you've got Segway Labs. You've got Segway Science Management that helps manage, like, it, let's say a company needs to do a phase one clinical trial. They can actually help them through that process. That's here in Shreveport. That is here in Shreveport. That's in one of our buildings. Why did he come to you? Well, um, like he, what, what did he need EAP for and what did EAP provide to him? So he was, so Jim is, I mean, he was a professor, right? So right. he knows about how to do research. He knows how to do cancer research. He does not necessarily know how to start and run a company. Um, he's a wise enough man to say, I need help with this. Yeah. And so I'm going to go. And he was introduced to the accelerator. We also helped him find funding. Um, and so that was that's how it typically happens is people recognize that, hey, I know my industry. I know this, uh, but I need help doing something else. The last one, though, that spun off was Oleolive. They, they, do, um, they extract oleocanthal from olive oil. And actually, the entrepreneur that started that one was one of our former analysts. So, What is oleocanthal and why does one want to take it out of olive oil? So it is believed there's a lot of research going on if you Google oleocanthal. Um, when, when you taste olive oil, and I'm not going to get into the science of it because that's their department on mine, but when you taste really high-quality olive oil, sometimes it kind of almost tingles on your tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the oleocanthal. They believe that there are possibly um, anti-inflammatory properties to that, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of research going on in the science world right now with that for a host of different uh, potential. They're making olive oil less delicious. Well, I, I wouldn't say that. They're extracting something amazing. If you look at the Mediterranean diet and yeah. some of the things that are going over there, they believe there's a direct correlation with their consumption of olive oil. And okay. so then you say, well, what's the good stuff in there? Well, it's the oleocanthal. Okay, how do we get that out and make something really impactful with that? Yeah, and it plays right into the whole new kind of new age lifestyle around um, healthy medicine, organic medicine. And it's under a vertical of things called nutraceuticals. Um, and those are basically compounds in organic um, things like olive oil that have, uh, if you spin them out and you concentrate them and you put them in another form, they have healing properties of okay. various different things. So we're really excited about that one. Um, that sounds pretty interesting. I'm, I'm still kind of hung up on the idea of, you know, why not just eat more olive oil? <laughs> well, this is a concentrated uh, thing. So. Uh, okay. So I, right. my whole point, though, for us, if you look at the EAP portfolio, we can go from king cakes to olive oil right. to uh, cybersecurity yeah. to aviation maintenance. And the great thing is we all know that our economy here has yeah. been 
so focused on oil and gas and it's so cyclical, right? You know, when times are good, everybody's happy and it's, and we're rocking. Everybody's in the oil and gas business, whether you want to admit it or not. Oh yeah. But when times are tough and times are lean, there's this fiefdom mentality and, and I mean, the resources get restricted. And so what we're really trying to do is expand that beyond oil and gas. Now we love oil and gas, please don't get me wrong, but we want to diversify and have Mm -hmm. other industries and we think that uh, this area is a great place to do it. Yeah, Shreveport. I mean, and I think because the profit margins can be so astronomical, I think our eggs have always been in that basket. They've been in the timber and the land and the oil and gas basket. And we have a tendency to not think that we have any other baskets mm-hmm. or not try to create any other baskets. And when times are good, like you said, why? Who cares? There's plenty of money to go around. There's plenty of oil and gas to go around. Right. Apathy. So, Apathy. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. So... Um, I, I want to like take a 30,000 foot view of, of EAP um, and economic development in Northwest Louisiana. But first, I want to I want to kind of get back to the question of um, a lady has a great idea mm-hmm. um, and she comes to EAP and says, I've got a great idea. Right. And um, she can either put some upfront money for consultation or EAP says, yeah, we like your idea. We're going to take a percentage stake in her in your business and we're going to become your partner and we're going to help you along in this idea. So tell me what happens next. Let's say she has no money. She's got a great idea. Um, She might have a little bit of money here and there, but she's got this, she's got a great idea and Mm -hmm. she, she don't want to pay you guys 5,000 for consulting. She's willing to cut you in 20%. Yeah. Well, 20% is way, way more than we negotiate. We typically stay in the three to five range uh, because we're not going to hand to do it 20%. One would be handicapping you as an entrepreneur because your ability to raise capital having a partner that has 20% of your company with no capital at play is a losing situation okay. for everybody. Right. So, so three to 5% so three to negotiating. 5%, okay. Yeah. And, and that's based on scope of work, right? So if, right. if you're an entrepreneur that's seasoned and is built and run a company before, but you just need deal structuring help or access to capital, like yeah. that's going to be lower, right? But if you need a full-fledged business proposition and a pitch deck and a financial model and sure. deal structure, that's going to be closer to five, right? Okay. So we negotiate that on a case-by-case basis. But the first thing we do once a contract is in place is really just sit down with you and talk through your idea, right? And we we execute what's called a lean canvas. And that's based off of methodology that just puts, just throws and smatters your business onto a one-page thing. And it divides it into nine buckets from uh, who your consumer is going to be, uh, what your what your revenue targets are going to be yeah. or how you're going to measure that revenue. Yeah. Is it going to be a product-based selling business? Is it going to be a service-based business? Yeah. Is it going to be recurring revenue? Is it going to be case or item-by-item item sales? Okay. Uh, what How are you going to market it? Uh, what verticals you're going to approach? Is it going to be traditional like outdoor type of billboard thing? Or are yeah. you going to leverage Google Analytics and SaaS and all that stuff? Yeah. Um, we also talk about what, what you need to make that happen. So after you talk... After you execute a lean canvas, you ideally should have the basis of your business on one page. Okay. And once you have that basis, you can start developing a pitch deck and a financial. What's a pitch deck? Pitch deck is essentially um, your case to whomever you're trying to raise capital from. You are so pitching your your pitching idea, your idea to a potential so, investor. So if you think about if you think about um, Shark Tank, right? Yep. They don't necessarily always do this, but sometimes they'll go in and they'll actually present whether it's a PowerPoint deck or some sort of visual representation mm-hmm. of their business, and they'll present that to investors, right? So uh, the classic way we help a company is to build them to that capital event where they actually pitch to an investor, okay. and that investor says, I will invest in your company 
at these terms. So I want to touch on that. So one of the biggest mistakes that we think that entrepreneurs make is that they go and they pitch their idea before they're really ready mm-hmm. to pitch their idea. Okay. All right. And so our goal is we tell them, look, typically you only get one shot. And if you only get one shot, it better be good. Yeah. And so we literally not only help them build the pitch deck and the financial model, we literally make them practice in front yeah. of us. Oh, sure. I mean, we they, we practice, we time. Times, Sometimes yeah. we'll record them and say, "Do you see that fidgety thing you keep doing? Stop mm-hmm. doing that." Yeah. And so yeah. we and we care so much because it's those details that we want to make sure if you only get one shot, we want you to be perfect. Yeah, and, and we, sometimes these are your partners. You hadn't gotten paid yet. Oh, and but that's the whole <laughs> point, Absolutely. right? And you want them to get funded. Which goes yeah. back to, it goes back to the whole, like, we incentivize ourselves to be with you for the long haul. So I know we, we're kind of focusing on the early stage, what it looks like at the beginning. But as this evolves, our relationship's going to evolve. And as you need things, we're always there for you. Okay, so back to a concrete example. Mm-hmm. You, you've got yep. uh, a lady. She's got a great idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, she comes to you. She doesn't have any um, doesn't have any capital to start this with. You negotiate a 5% deal with her yep. uh, where you, you own 5% of the operation. You help her develop a pitch deck. You help her develop a lean canvas. Well, lean canvas first, pitch deck. Mm-hmm. You go through uh, your target market, your target analytics as far as revenue streams yeah. and marketing analysis and plans, and, and you, you basically develop what she can then try to sell. Is that Correct. And by sell, I don't mean open a, a business and sell it. I mean sell to a potential investor. Yes. So she knows her product she's actually going to sell as a business owner. Right. But she actually has to sell herself, right? Because she needs, how much does she need to get this? Five, say $500,000. She needs half a million bucks. Yeah. All right. So we then, the, the, the most advanced thing I think where we create the most value for an entrepreneur is structuring that deal when, they're, when they know how much money they need to raise. Yeah. So if you raise $500,000 and you're going to give up 50% of your company for that, you're implicitly saying that your company is worth a million dollars, right? So... That is called evaluation, and what we help with is helping that person like remove themselves from their opportunity and look at it agnostically from an investor's perspective and saying, does a million-dollar valuation make sense? Is it worth more? Is it worth less? And that is a very valuable thing to them because someone... It, there are times when you need to tell your baby that it's ugly, right? So if your terms are bad <laughs> yeah. and they are not attractive to an investor, then it doesn't matter how strong of a business opportunity you have yeah. if it doesn't make sense at the terms that you've been given. We've actually had, I actually had, and I, I won't name them, but originally I had a company come to me and they were just struggling. Uh, they had been trying to raise funds for over a year and a half, just could not close the deal. Yeah. I took one look at it, looked at the deal terms and said, this is your problem. You you can't act, this is never going to fly. The math just doesn't work for an investor. Well, it just, an, like, they were just poor terms, period. Okay. Um, so we restructured the deal and they closed it within like three months. And so that's those are the fun ones when I say, right. okay, show us what you got. Yeah. They were pretty far along in the process. Yeah. I mean, they, they had a... Mm-hmm. They had a, a pitch deck. They yeah. had a financial model. They they knew how much everything was going to cost. Well, but we and, just as restructured. As an you're like married to your idea yeah. so much that sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. That's on right. Well, and that sorry to interrupt. That's like the interesting thing about Jared because he is he he's he's able to now look at both sides. Like I've had conversations with him where he's you know he goes to the meeting yeah. with the investors, but he's also running a business, so yeah. he can. 
it helps like what you're saying like he knows when his baby's ugly and he can he yeah. can he can address that because he's had to go through it right yeah. and, and that's i think that's do you guys will you guys have other jareds like will you are there other people that that are interested in because it seems like a really valuable as a teaching um tool for for that so that's an interesting concept because you don't do the you know you don't put people through a a program right but Mm -hmm. so that's something that we've really thought about kind of forming as a group of entrepreneurs that actually started their own company and getting them all in the room and uh having some of these conversations on a frequent basis but will we have other jareds i'm sure yes and we do i mean we we have this great network of people out there um, we lean heavily on our investor group. You know, these are folks who have been successful. They've been out there. They've been running companies. They've raised capital. They've negotiated licensing deals. Mm-hmm. They've they've cut their teeth, and so they have the the war wounds, right? The scars. We rely on them heavily as uh, advisors. Um, we were one of our entrepreneurs and startup companies got a licensing deal. They were ready to sign it because they were just like, oh, I got something. I'm, I'm ready to sign it. And we were like, wait, 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 hang on. Yeah. Got had an emergency meeting, brought in a bunch of investors, helped him renegotiate an even better contract that ended up being better, not only for the entrepreneur, but the subsequent investors as well. I think one of the important things answering your question about having a network of entrepreneurs is the understanding that because we're only five or six years old and this initiative is relatively new to Shreveport Bossier, in other more developed parts of the country, in your Silicon Valley, in your in your East Coast-based venture ecosystems, you have you've had turnover to where an entrepreneur comes in, has a great business idea. They pitch, they are successful, their company gets acquired, they become independently wealthy. And what the next thing that happens in most cases is like, I'm gonna put my money to work in those entrepreneurs where I was five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, ten years ago, whatever. And so we are just in the early precipice of that kind of turning over and the successful people that we work with giving back in that way. Because when you're run, the tough part is when you're running that business and as, as an early stage company, you don't have time to give back because you're focused on making your yeah. baby successful and selling your company. And so I believe in the next five to seven years, as we see those successes hit and those people have liquidity events where their companies are acquired or, or whatever the outcome is, they will give back because they know how valuable it is to the next generation of entrepreneurs. And that, I think, is going to be really special. Yeah, you have kind of a gap there with the, the group that you mm-hmm. have that has already started run business they that is helping, like you said, negotiate that contract. Like those people are there, but then there's a gap between that person and the people that have been funded. You just have to catch up. But I think G- uh, Jim, is that his name? Um, he had like his, where he sort of wanted to start one thing, but he's a, he's a scientist like that. He's not a business person, but once he starts one thing, he can, he can say like, Oh, by the way, guys, I'm going to focus on this one, but also we could do this one and this one at the same time. It all makes sense. Right. And then you guys can say, yes, do you, yes, point us in that direction. And he saw a need and so he saw a need, a gap that was missing here. And so he was able to fill it and. He filled it by starting a company. Yeah, we should definitely talk to him. He's uh, I met him at um, at an event for Startup Prize. I, I just happened to sit next to him, and he told me this was when I first moved back here. And he was like, you know, Gregory was like, come to this thing, and I, and I was there and with Dave, 
and Gregory was, you know, making everybody drink tequila and everything. It's pretty <laughs> amusing. But I sat next to him and he told me essentially all of the businesses that he has now that he sat next to me and he goes, this is what I have, this, this, this. Like he had it all in his mind. He just knew, I don't know exactly how to put all the pieces together. And I think right. that happens a lot to any creative person that like yeah that. there there is a certain level of psychology behind the entrepreneur which is uh, another interesting thing that we get to deal with and, and fun thing and, and so we <laughs> see get a to lot deal of similarities with, one after the other we do um and so that's a, a lot of fun but if you bring jim in be sure to bring he's got a dynamic team uh, dr mm -hmm. elena gray dr david coleman and then kylie grant who actually started olea live so okay i i have a all right so how do you put this this lady who needs half a million mm -hmm. dollars and she's got a good idea and now y'all own five percent of her company and you're helping her out? How do you get her in front of the investors? Like what? I mean, does yeah, she so have to do the Shark Tank thing? She will at some point. So just quickly, because I know we want to get into some more academic, yeah, yeah, yeah. academic or economic development discussion, but really quickly. So we run two, uh, two angel funds through um, the BRF, uh, and they're a managing member of that. And so what that means is we have actual capital that that we can put into these companies if it's the that right EAP thing. can deploy. Uh, so EAP doesn't deploy it. We present opportunities to the fund. The fund is made up of uh, we, we make nominations yeah. to okay. and, and the fund yeah. is is managed by the investors themselves. So the investors make the decision. Yeah. It's an investor managed fund that's a subset of BRF or no. it's a no. separate. No, it's, it's a, a separate. It's a, it's a completely separate, separate thing. That whole we separate thing. But you guys have access. Assist. Like, yeah. Let me let me put it to you this yeah. way. We really do a lot of the due diligence. Okay. Uh, not only for the fund, but also for the city. I mean, yeah. the great thing is, is that we, we have a great partnership with the city. So we do a lot of due diligence for them. Um, and then we make nominations, you know, we know what their criteria is and we will say, okay, does it meet these three main criteria? And then we meet once a month and I kind of facilitate a meeting where with all of these investors and I say, here's our pipeline. And these are the top three that we think meet your criteria and that you would be interested in. Okay. So we nominate things. Mm -hmm. And yes. then from that nomination, they, you know, we have very in-depth and sometimes very um, animated and um, passionate, discourse. passionate <laughs> discussions. <laughs> but um, we, we talk through that and then eventually they, they vote. Mm -hmm. And so EAP, we don't vote. We don't really have a say in it. Uh, but the investors themselves. And then from there, there's a very um, rigorous process okay. that the fund itself again they manage it uh, we do help facilitate some of those meetings but the fund itself goes through a formal due diligence process once they're voted in uh, they get to present for interest the broader investors get to kind of see what's going on and we're and still so talking about a hypothetical lady with a yes, great idea that's right. she gets to present and one investor is like real, that's not really my jam and then somebody else is like man i'll, I'll give her 200k right now well like, so what's interesting is that the committee screens the opportunity there's an independent committee okay. of the fund members so okay. the fund is like 60 local investors okay the right. committee is a vetting mechanism for the fund okay it's, it's like seven investors so right. that those seven create and screen opportunities to actually present to the larger group okay and right. at that time they will present and and the the fund will individual members will vote yes or no. Okay. Um, and at that point, an investment decision is made based off of whether they succeed. So it's a fund. Yeah. The fund would it's democratic invest in that way. It would be yeah. a fund investing into the in, right. into the entrepreneur, not necessarily an individual. So right, but we have a unique fund in that we. Um, I say we. 
the fund, the way that it's structured is that any of those investors can also do what we call sidecar investing. Okay. And so oh, they yeah. can choose to do a sidecar with what, no carry. What you were saying. Yeah. yeah, they can yeah. they can choose to invest on their own at the same terms, no carry, no extra fees, no, you know, they don't have yeah, to go yeah. through all the legalities of having to do a separate investment. Yeah, one, and one, the and is there one more thing real ahead. quick. And the investors love that because they get to piggyback on the terms that are discussed with the fund. Right. As well as them having the the ability to know that due diligence has already been done on that, yeah. right? Because they if they're an the individual committee. investor yeah. that maybe just has 3% of their overall portfolio to invest in these early stage things, they don't have the capacity, the bandwidth, or the scale to individually vet all of these opportunities. Yeah. We provide that through the EAP process and the NLAF process so they know that they're not investing in someone that is fraudulent, not investing in someone that has a track record of failure yeah. um, or... I mean, for lack of a better word, crooks, right? Gotcha. So, which has happened in the larger ecosystem of Shreveport relatively no, recently. No, so, it's not. <laughs> so, all right. So, all right. So in your scenario, lady comes in, yeah, yeah, she yeah. pitches, and the fund so, does not decide. The fund elects the, the, against. Well, the fund can right. elect, but at the same time, you could say, "Wait, you're only trying to raise this much. I'll, I'll take right, the individual could right. I'll take the, the yeah. The fund could say, "You know what? You're not really a fit for us, or not don't don't really quite, you know, or yeah. or that's not really what we're looking for because maybe it's a great opportunity for this region, but." maybe there's no real exit strategy, okay. right? And so an individual investor says, I love this idea so much, I'm going to pick up the whole deal. Right. And we've had that happen, absolutely. Well, is there any or is there any leash on this individual or can they take the money and run it to Dallas? So like, we we negotiate milestones with any investment that the fund's going to make, right? Okay. So there are hurdles that have to be met with that funding, right? So we're also not going to write the entire check. So if right. they're... Using right. hardening back to our like construction contract. $500,000 raise. We may contribute 10 to 15% it's of that. Tiered. It's a tiered. Well, what I'm saying is we may commit 10 to 15% to that round of funding. Right? right. Okay. Yeah. So they are still on the hook for raising another $250,000, okay. And whether that be through other individuals in the fund or external partners with our other angel networks yeah. in New Orleans or Houston or East okay. Texas or whatever, they have to go out and raise more money. Okay. Right. We're not going to cut the whole check. Okay. But, but yes, one of the criteria is that they stay in Northwest Louisiana. Okay. Yes. That's, so so the, the lady has this great idea. It gets funded. I mean, you, it's presented to the committee at 200K. They elect to uh, use the fund to give the 200K. Mm -hmm. She still has to raise 300K. But you guys have some tiered contractual structure with her such that certain like you said, uh, milestones have to be met in order to... Not necessarily to access all of that funding that's committed to her, but... Yeah. If you hope, like these companies are going to have to raise multiple rounds of financing. Right, right. This is just so you have to round. show a track record of success okay. in order to come back for a follow-up, okay. for example. But so she does really well in mm -hmm. in whatever the first milestone is, right. and do you guys leave her out in the cold and say, "Congratulations, we helped you to part one. You're on your own no. after that." Because we remember we still have your EAP has a five percent stake yeah, you're in that. So okay. There is a timeline where they may outgrow the angel network okay. and need more traditional VC dollars or venture capital. Um, and we have partnerships with those types of, of entities mm -hmm. for larger checks, right? So the traditional startup funding model is you do some self-financing to get 
an idea, yeah. then you get your angel investment, then you get maybe a, a series A and then series B, series C, and then you get acquired by somebody, mm -hmm. right? And it, progressively your valuation goes up and your amount of funding that you need goes up to stimulate yeah. the growth of your company. So we work in that ser like early series A backwards to angel. So angel to like kind of early okay. series A is where we kind of hold our feet to the fire. So Gotcha. But, you know, we've recently, I just recently helped kind of structure a, a Series C round. So, yeah. you know, it's, it, it's Every, exciting. The thing yeah. about this, Josh, is that everything is unique. Everything is different. That's right. Which makes it exciting, but it also makes it kind of hard to explain to. Well, and, and you guys are new. Involved. You're still yeah. creating the rules for your own organization. I mean, like EAP is. I, you like, know, the startup world, though, has been around for a long time. Yeah. So, I mean, but. But the reality is, is that the nature of startup world is there is no cookie cutter. Right. So if you if we try to walk through this hypothetical scenario, yeah. it doesn't really work that way. Okay. It never mm -hmm. is. The, every single one is different. I can tell you that we are going to start with a financial model because if it doesn't make financial sense, we're going to we yeah. want you. And this sounds crazy, but we would rather you fail fast and fail early oh, yeah. than go too far down the path. So financial yep. model is critical and number one. You're going to come in and when you sit on the blue couch, we've got these awesome turquoise <laughs> blue couches in the EAP. So you come in and you sit down. First thing we're going to do is financial model. Yeah. Then if it's, if it makes sense, yeah. then we'll get, you know, of course we've already done the lean canvas, but we're going to do that pitch deck and then we're going to start prepping you. And, and that's really the beginning of the process. Sounds cool. What does this mean for the larger area of Northwest Louisiana? I, like, I can touch on that. So, I am a, a results-oriented person, and I'm driven by outcomes, right? As I think we all should be, especially when we're talking about economic development. So what does this mean for Northwest Louisiana over the last five years of VAP's existence? It means we've screened almost over 900 opportunities through uh, sitting down and having meetings on our couches looking at what is going on in the marketplace here in Treeport. We've taken um, investment in, I think, 16 to 20 companies, something something around there. Um, of those companies, we've created 240 jobs with an average compensation of fifty dollars to $55,000 per job here in Shreveport, Louisiana. And our companies have raised almost $100 million in outside capital. So that capital is made up of non-dilutive funding through grants or SBIRs, National Institute of Health, that kind of thing, through bankable opportunities. So we've actually found that some of our opportunities can get traditional bank financing, traditional debt financing, but a majority of it is through early stage private equity capital from uh, people, mostly here in Shreveport, but we've had some companies as they've grown, they've taken on larger investor dollars from regional or national players. So that is, those are outcomes that would not have happened without EAP. That's real economic development that would, would not have happened without EAP. And that's driving Shreveport uh, into the future, if you ask me. My short answer is yeah. diversified industry, jobs, increased tax base. That's what it means. Yeah. One more time. Diversified industry. Diversified industry. Yeah. Jobs. Yeah. Therefore, an increased tax base. I mean, that's what we need, right? We need jobs. We need increased tax. We need GM to come back. You know, you know <laughs> we, we, that it's. I'm glad you. I want. Pipe dream, Josh. I want to. I want to <laughs> spend. It's a pipe dream. Yeah, I want to spend a little no, bit of time God, on that. I need, we need. We need to send out some representatives from Shreveport to go get the whale. How do we do that? Okay, here's the problem mm. with the whale. <laughs> mm -mm -mm. You know, we had three whales. We just here, need one company, right? We had three, didn't we? Right? We Wait, had AT and T. Yeah. We had GM okay. and GE, right? And when they leave, when the whales leave, then what happens? I don't know. 
Tell me. Well, well, then we're in dire <laughs> straits, right? I would much rather... We wait rather, for another oil boom, right? Yeah, I would right, much rather have a whole school of dolphins, right, than one big whale. And so that's why EAP... Right. And, and I want Nick to spend a little bit of so time talking about I, we, how we... We didn't we, hit record early enough. Yeah. I, look, I look at this, so I'm way more into finance than I probably realistically or healthily should be. But when you talk about a portfolio of investments... You talk about diversification of risk, right? You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. You don't want to have your risk spread too thin across three opportunities because if one of those opportunities leaves, then you're left holding a large bag. Percentage-wise of angel investments, how many of those are successful? Just as a round number percentage. Nationally? Just I'm just, yeah. like. So, so let's take 10. Let's say we've got 10 portfolio companies. Uh, one is going to probably hit it out of the park, if you're lucky, right? Mm -hmm. If you're lucky. One's going to hit it out of the park. They're going to be what we call a unicorn. Two or three, they're going to do okay, and the rest are going to fail. Now, I will say, and with, I can't you know, divulge all the details because the fund is private and everything, we've only had one company that's no longer existed. And over a five, almost six-year time period, that's unprecedented. That's a so great overall, you guys are doing better than average. Yes, Okay, and we right. do compare ourselves to um, the National uh, Angel Capital Association does amazing reporting of all of the angel, uh, whether they're networks or funds across the country. And we do um, yearly, quarterly, I look at the reporting and kind of comparison. We're either tracking to or are actually doing better than. All right. Well, but back to where you were going, Nick. The the, you don't. You want to diversify your your, your playing field to some degree, right. and and we like Julie just mentioned. We had three whales here. Mm -hmm. They're no longer here. Right. So, to your point. So so, talking about that traditional economic development is a top down approach. And when I say a top down approach, I mean people going out recruiting a Toyota, recruiting a GM, recruiting an Amazon or whatever, some large entity that is a brand name that everybody knows, and bringing them here and saying, look at the resources that we have in Shreveport Bossier. And then you craft a plan for them and say, we're going to save you this in your corporate tax structure. Our workforce is, has this capability. Our schools are this. Our education is this. You should pick us. And it's basically throw it all out there and hopefully two or three opportunities come to you. That's what I say when I, when I say top down. That's what I mean. EAP is focused on a bottoms-up approach where we take the talent that already exists in Shreveport and we grow it up into opportunities that are going to be successful, right? So we take a software company that has a, track rec a CEO with a track record of success, but he needs institutional capital here to help him grow his business here in Shreveport. And five years later, you have Cyber Reef. They have 18 to 20 employees, something like that. And they're growing and they have loyalty to us because we help them get started and that is a powerful thing because if you're recruiting an amazon they're sophisticated enough where if the numbers don't make sense and they can't save a dime for every dollar they're not interested in you and if you don't have the infrastructure in place the educational workforce the uh, schools the crime or whatever, you're not going to make the top list of candidates for their expansion. And one other thing, real quick, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you know, I heard this morning at an NLEP breakfast, they brought in somebody who has a lot of experience, I think at Amazon, but he was talking about how when you bring in these big whales, they want these huge incentives, right? 
so they want these big tax breaks. Well, then that means that they're not actually supporting the community. They just right. want something for free. Well, guess what? So they come. Let's say we get a whale, right? And we give them all these tax breaks. They're not supporting the infrastructure, the school systems, the anything. And then 10 years, five years later, when they get a better offer from a neighboring state or even mm. another country for that matter, you know what they're going to do? They're going to say, give me even more incentives, yeah. which means you're not really... The only way you're increasing your tax base there is through the jobs, right. which is a great thing. Don't yeah, get me yeah. wrong, but if they we're create, shooting if they ourselves create a in few the thousand foot. jobs, there's payroll taxes that sure. generate from that, but, 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 but local sales tax and all that kind of stuff. But all these incentives, not, and I'm not saying yeah. that incentives are bad. I think they're a great way. I just think that sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot, especially with some of the big. Yeah, it, well, and this and before we start recording, we and not to be negative, but right. you and I talked about the various places that some of these whales are now looking to locate. Right. And the, the obvious ones are the Dallas, Atlantas, and you know whatever. But there's a lot of mid to larger size cities that have a lot to offer, and Shreveport, frankly, isn't able to compete with a lot of that stuff. And we, it's like we, it's like we have an identity crisis where we think we can, and it's okay that we can't. We're not, we're not Boulder, Colorado, mm-hmm. like we're not San Francisco. So, like, tell tell the the listeners, like, basically that that qualitative analysis that that a group like Amazon or that Toyota goes through and how they list their cities and how Shreveport really isn't going to match up. So if I'm at, if I'm a VP at Toyota and I'm looking for a thousand job expansion and I need to find a place that's going to give me the best bang for my buck for those thousand jobs, those say there's a, there's a new Camry that they're being, they're looking for a place to be built. They're going to look at a laundry list of things and basically create one giant spreadsheet that has all these qualifications and it's going to rank communities across the country based off of all these mm-hmm. different things. It's going to be a huge matrices of, of potential places. Mm-hmm. And you're going to look at things like education. You're going to look at things like median income. You're going to look at things like crime, um, workforce, the size of the city, the growth of the city, the, the industry that's already there, the infrastructure yeah. that's already there. And to be quite frank, Shreveport as it stands right now is not going to be on the top 60% of that. Yeah. So we're going to be yeah. towards the bottom for obvious reasons, right? Sure, we don't have sure. to get into all of that. So we're never going to be successful in that as of now, in my opinion. And this is my opinion. Until, until we work on ourselves. Until we until we figure out how to do things smaller, right? right. I, I, if you ask me, it needs to be more of a grassroots approach like EAP where you're you're taking your local talent and growing it as opposed to recruiting it in. And I think there's value in doing that, but I don't think it's an and or thing. I think it's a both thing yeah. um, because it, it, economic development is, it, it can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, right? Some people want um, a new park and that's what economic development looks like for them. Some people want a fast food place that only exists in California uh, to open up a shop in Treeport. Yeah. And to them, that's economic development. I don't look at that as economic development, right? So. Um, so, so doing things differently is how we're going to have to solve some of the issues that Shreveport has. And I think we're doing things differently at EAP and the BRF. I think that goes without being said. I think Jared brought up the point that it, it's, you know, it's just as good or maybe even better to have 20 new companies start with five employees apiece than to have one company that comes in with 100. Like I said, I'd rather have a school of dolphins yeah. than one whale. That's diversification. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's it's exactly what that is. And it also is skin in the game, especially if you're starting, at, like you mentioned, at a grassroots level. You're bringing local people in who are funded by local investors. They have a local partner. But, you know, and, and before you know it, they're staying here. 
And you're also building something in and for your community, which then can be exported from your community yeah, as right. opposed to bringing everything into your community from somewhere else. And everybody's got a vested interest in what they're building and how they're building it and how it benefits and affects and the it, community around it. It goes know? way beyond just business, Josh, right? So when you talk about the culture and the identity of a city, you think about local things, right? You think about yeah. tacos from Key Mexico. You think about pizza from Frank's. You think about the beer from Red River or Great Raft. Yeah. You don't think about the McDonald's on East Kings, yeah. right? Big Mac kind of tastes the same everywhere. Right. You don't think about the Starbucks online. So these things go into creating a cultural identity for a city that creates loyalty, that creates um, happiness, that creates joy when you talk about it where creates, you're from. creates a sense of place. A, and, a sense and, of place, exactly. That's and I think, that, I think that matters more than people understand. They take it for granted when they have it, and then when right. they don't have it, they realize what they miss. And for those of us who were our boomerangs and we left here, uh, and missed some of those things of home. And then when you come back, you appreciate them that much more. Well, um, we're coming up on an hour, so I'll ask you some questions that I, I don't always ask other folks. But um, books, if there are entrepreneurs out there um, or if there are people that are interested in what EAP is doing, do you guys have any book recommendations or read? What's on your reading list or what are your favorite reads? I, I'm just going to be honest. I haven't been reading lately. Okay. I've, uh, well, I've, had, I've had a whole lot going on in my personal life and professional life. So yeah. I have not been reading very much lately. Well, yeah. if there's a book that an entrepreneur should read before, like before he, everybody has these great ideas and they, or maybe not everybody, but some people that I know have a lot of great ideas and there's not enough time in the day to even write the ideas down. Is there a, a, a book or a podcast or anything, uh, a media worthy that that is worth their time to check out. So one of the ones that I actually did, I listened to recently was called Our Towns. Um, and it's about this husband and wife team. And they went all over the country to all these smaller and mid cities. Um, and they kind of looked at what made, so this is less about entrepreneurs and more about kind of the economy of Shreveport mm -hmm. Bossier. But Our Towns uh, and Brad Schmidt was a great, and he he kind of gave a copy to a lot of people and said, you really need to read this. Um, but it talks about what made certain cities very successful as they kind of revamped themselves. Mm -hmm. um, so Our Towns, check it out. Our Towns. How about you, Nick? Yeah, so I, um, th so we talk about the Lean Canvas, and that's based off of a book called The Lean Startup uh, by a guy named Eric Reese. And so if you want to get into what entrepreneurship may look like at EAP, I think that's a good place to start. Um, I've read I've read that book before. Lean Startup by the Eric Lean Reese. Startup. Eric Reese, E R. I'm pulling up on Amazon right now. Eric Reese, R I E S. Um, there's also a book out there called Zero to One by Peter Thiel. I've heard it's great. I haven't personally read it. Um, there there are resources out there. Um, most of my reading is more sports related or general business related. But you said um, Zero to One by Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel, yeah. And then The Lean Startup by Eric Reese, R-I-E-S. What if yes. you What if you have a great business idea? How do you, How do you get it to you? How do you get it to us? Yeah. Well, you can go to our website, eapla.com, um, or you can just come by our office. If you're here in Treeport, we're at Intertech 1 at uh, 2031 Kings Highway, corner of Kings Highway and Mansfield Road. And e e ask for Julie, don't ask for me. eapla.com. <laughs> you got it. And you can apply through there, too. We have a... A portal that you can apply through, and if and you have, you have some funds. The the two funds that you are running, 
the, like, are there, are you doing another one? Can you, how do you get into that? What do you, what do you have if to you're do? An investor, the, yeah. yeah. From yeah, an for investor standpoint, what do they, so, what do they need so to do? So both of the funds, they are closed, but uh, with the success that we are seeing, I would, I'm going to make an educated assumption that we will be having another fund. If that's something that you're interested in, uh, come check us, you know, come talk to us, just sit down, uh, corner John George or Dave Smith or one of us and, you know, we'll certainly have the conversation. Got anything else? All right. We'll always ask people if you could send a text message out to uh, everybody in Shreveport, what would it say? Oh, geez. Oh, geez. I wouldn't put that no, in the text message. No, that's a good one. I would one. certainly I like, tell. Oh, geez. <laughs> my text message would say, great things are happening. Great things are happening. Well, I think EAP. Stay the course. Oh, okay. Great things are happening. Stay the course. Can we put those together into one text message? Absolutely. Um, Regular We're data staying the course. I don't know if everybody else should stay the course, but we are. All right. Well, <laughs> if it's a good course. <laughs> is there anything Shreveport government could be doing better to help EAP or entrepreneurs or investors build our local economy in the way that you guys see economic development happening? So, uh, you know, I want to be very careful and not try to tell them how to do their job, but uh, Brandon Fail has recently joined yeah. the city as economic development yeah. director. I know he is out there, uh, yeah. outside of Shreveport even, mm -hmm. uh, really trying to look at doing some of that uh, mid-company, looking at things that might make sense for the yeah. Shreveport-Bossier area. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to give them advice on how to how yeah. to run the government, but I'm well, certainly, what I will say is, is that they are doing things. Uh, that I think will have a positive impact. And I will also say that we as EAP are there to support them. And so if they do find a company or if an idea comes to the city, we we are right there and say, we'll do all the due diligence. We'll, we'll take that burden and uh, and really vet it to make sure that it is a good thing for Shreveport. Well, that sounds like a good offer. What um, what right now is the city of Shreveport doing well? What, what are we doing well that, that makes our town attractive to potential investors, potential entrepreneurs, um, to out-of-state companies that want to come here or to people who want to grow a business here? What what about Shreveport makes this a great place to do business? Well, the cost of living is low. I mean, we all know that, compared yeah. to, comparatively speaking. Mm -hmm. um, we actually do have a workforce. To, to Even when people say, well, we don't have the workforce, we do. There, There's... Um, there's Bibsy. There's we uh, we Susla. have great. That's right. We have Bibsy, which is an amazing. We have Susla. We have um, Tech Barksdale. Tech yeah. Bar Barksdale Air Force Base. We have LSUS. I mean, we have universities. So and education partner, is yeah. great. And they've partnered with and, corporate uh, entities before to develop the certification programs required. I know that. That's true. Yeah. Not only that, but. Um, you can come to the state of Louisiana and go to school for if you have pretty good grades for almost for free, right? Yeah. And because they've partnered with these corporations, you can get a job right afterwards. So from that perspective, I think that we make it pretty affordable to live here, mm -hmm. very affordable to get educated here. Mm -hmm. And we're in the process and working on making it easier to become employed with a good paying job after you finish that education. So I think that I think we're kind of turning a ship, right? It takes yep. some time, yep. but I think we're on that trajectory of we're turning it and we're, we are trying to make it a place to get educated, stay work. I think mine doesn't really, it's not really appropriate for the government specifically, but more just for the community is a sense of open-mindedness um, because 
what we did five or six years ago at EAP was completely different than anything that's ever existed in Treeport when it comes to economic development, and we've been successful. Um, that doesn't mean that every new idea that comes to Shreveport is going to be a success or should it even be seriously considered. But I do think there needs to be a shift in some of the way we think about outsiders and think about new opportunities um, because the status quo clearly hasn't worked mm-hmm. um, in the last 15 to 20 years. Yeah. So new ways of thinking, new ways of engaging ourselves in whether it's economic development or cultural development or creating an identity for our city Taking in new voices and new opinions is crucial to that. And if we don't do that, we're just going to see the same things that we've seen in the last 15, 20 years, which is not going to be good for anybody. Well, cool. We're about to wrap this up. Anything else from you, Ms. Gilly? No, thank you for having us. Nick? I'm good. Thank you for having us. Great things are happening. Stay the course. Oh, gosh. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, geez. Oh, geez.